0: Excel podcast. Excel, Excel podcast. Excel podcast. Podcast. Facebook, podcast DJ podcast. Lee. You're listening to Malorca Lee's XL Podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of my Excel Podcast. This episode I sit down and chat to Kurt Turnbull from QFX about his journey through music. Before we do, I've just got some news on some big gigs coming up. It's called 1994 Love Me Right, and it's on, guess what, New Year's Eve. I've kept the tickets as low as I can because I know it's difficult with these times of years, and I really hope you can make it. The lineup is Ultrasonic, The Rhythmic State, Active Force, Trevor Riley, Joe Deacon, David Forbes, DJ 10, Malcolm X, MC Madman, and MC Cyclone. That's at the Classic Grand in Glasgow. I really hope you can join us. I'm also going to be playing over in Northern Ireland on Boxing Night and a few other gigs across the country, so keep an eye on my website. But now, back to the show. Welcome to another episode of the XL Podcast. I'm pleased to say my next guest for this show is none other than Mr QFX, Kirk Turnbull. How are you, Kirk? I'm good, thank you, Mal. Whereabouts in the world are you today? czech republic I Oh wow! Home? right because uh, we were speaking a couple of weeks ago i didn't know you were back already
0: yeah 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 i managed to after that weekend at uh, the coliseum i was uh ready to go home on the monday
1: Aye.
0: <laughs> i can't wait to get home old bastard <laughs> so, <laughs> so the czech
1: republic is home now it is indeed yes brilliant but you still also you're coming over for for gigs and stuff like that in the uk
0: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I fly back just to do the gigs and uh, and then come home, but try and spend as little time as possible in the UK now, so <laughs> just the way I am.
1: Uh-huh. Well, you're, you're happy where you're at, so that's the main thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think home is where the heart is, and I think once you've travelled about and seen the world a wee bit, things get a bit easier, you know?
1: Yep. And I think as well, because you've had the chance to tour with a band and stuff like that, like, going and living in in our country is no as big a daunting uh, thing as as it would be if you were just, let's say you'd stayed in the same town all your life or whatever kind of thing, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had stayed in kind of like the the hometown for the majority of my life. And I mean, other than the band getting away, that was what really opened my eyes. It was like, you know the world's a big place and especially nowadays with digital and with zoom and all this kind of stuff it, the world is just literally on your doorstep yeah so were you not living in america at one point as well am i getting mixed up no 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 i had I had a property in uh, florida for uh 10 years and i spent um roughly half the year there and i would just travel go there for three months come back for three and go there for three and I had a studio and everything set up and I was working with artists over there as well but it was just uh, getting full time there was uh, incredibly difficult basically you had to be you know you had to have a million dollars in the bank there and you had to employ six Americans to get basically into the country full time and um it was just really difficult to, he didn't get to choose what business he wanted as well, which was, it wasn't like I could go there and be a record producer. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to go there and open an ice cream parlor or, you know, a swimming wow. pool cleaning company. So it was, it was, it was dead weird. And, and you no, know, I, I thought I could just span the distance with just doing it three months here and three months there, but it was just, it wasn't possible. So that's and quite I'm, a lot
1: taking out you with the traveling and alone in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the cost as well. I mean, it it wasn't cheap to fly to America. Um, even 10-15 years ago it was still quite expensive as a lot of people know when they go on holiday they just like let's go to Florida and then they're like fucking 10 grand in a hole after, <laughs> <laughs> after but you do- went to Disneyland <laughs> <he went." laughs> <laughs> once he went to see the little mouse <laughs> that was it
1: <laughs> well we it was good because the, the last week or was it two weeks ago or two weekends ago we managed to, to catch up for the first time in ages yeah. get a wee blather yeah and we we organized this podcast but i think it would be great just to talk about your journey through music because this is basically what this concept of this podcast that i'm doing is all about and when you were young what was two things what kind of age did you start becoming aware of music and also when was you first moving into getting what was your first kind of music musical instrument
0: um Well, I was classically trained at five. (laughs) 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 Nah, I wasn't. (laughs) Bullshit. Um, No, I I never took up music till way late. I mean, I was probably 14, 15 before I actually started listening to music properly as in buying CDs and buying yep. records. Um, and that was probably encouraged by m- one of my brothers, you know, Colin, he was into music and played guitar and stuff. And um, anytime he was away at work, I would sneak into his room and, you know, see what he had to play with. And, and, and he had a couple of synthesizers in there that he borrowed off of people. And I was wow. like, this is cool. You know, I was an like old Juno 106 and stuff like that. And making mean, some farty noises and stuff. It was it was just like, oh, this is interesting. So, um when I was eventually caught for being in his room and kicked out, I was like, I have to try and do music in some kind of form or manner. And um, I remember just going to a local music shop and buying one of these little kind of crappy keyboards and like, this is it, I've made it, I've got a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> and then the journey began.
1: <laughs> what kind of age were you and what sort of music was it that you first started listening to? What was the kind of uh,
0: gateway? Ah, my music... Believe it or not, my music um, influences are really old. Like I, I loved stuff like I um, like sixties, seventies, eighties. But I mean, uh, like Sam Cooke and um, Genesis and Peter Gabriel and um, Meatloaf and basically everything, everything and anything that was that, that sounded good. Yep. Um, obviously, a lot of it was chart orientated. But I mean, I really did like a lot of the the early kind of electronic guys as well, you know, Kraftwerk and Depeche Mode, and, you know, I'm a big Vince Clark fan, I think he's just a god of, kind of creating melody, um, I and mean, everything he's ever done has been pretty much successful. His synth collection's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that place he's got in, in America is just amazing, his new place there. Um, it just, you, you look at all these old synths with the leads in them, you can, these old, kind of, what are they called again? Um, it's like telephone exchange. <laughs> <It's> like hello, <laughs> hello. He seems to care kind of what he's doing. He kinda mean, he does seem to care. Kind of, and I've watched a few. He's watched a few of his things, and he seems to be, you know, really switched on. And and now I think he's switched on to the digital side as well. Which, you know, for a long time, everything. He, I think everything he does create now, he, he creates some and plugins, and then he recreates it from a synth. Mm-hmm. Or from one of these big matrix racks that he's got, you know, modular synths that he's got. So, yep. cool I
1: mean, guy. You, you said you get obviously a wide range of music, but mm. there's obviously the digital side of things or the synth side of things that sparked something in you to then want to buy a keyboard. Was it? Mm-hmm. Was it was there a sort of group? I was I seen that. Was you aware of like dance music kind of bubbling up? Was it the borders you grew up on, Kirk?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was from the borders, a little town called Hoy, and um, luckily I had had a, a school friend um, that was really into synthesizers, and uh, I, I kind of used to go up there every now and again and, and see what he was up to and see what he was making. He was heavily into the the eighties music. He was heavily into these um, electronic pioneers you know craft and yellow and you know or anybody that was into the early early stuff and knew the early early stuff and, and he was really deep into programming since and all that kind of stuff and i was like whoa that's cool but i don't know if i can do that mm-hmm. i've kind of learned a little bit over the years but i mean i think you, you have to be a real you know techno junkie to actually get that <laughs> to
1: really be sitting on top of your stuff and yeah, knowing I, it inside out
0: and, and I mean, he, he could say, Oh, well, you know, that sounds like this because you twist this knob here and you turn that knob there and you cut that VCA there and you do this and yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a preset. Give me a preset.
1: <laughs> and then a quick fumble, and you're like, Yep, that sounds great. I'll do me. Uh,
0: <laughs> a little tweak here and a little tweak there. I mean, I think synthesizers have come on mass- massively. And even in the plugins, I mean, the plugins nowadays are just great for teaching people about, you know, how he get the sound and make mm-hmm. the sound. You know, I'm a big fan of native instruments and stuff like that. I love all their stuff and the massive and stuff like that. Just awesome piece of kit. That's amazing what
1: you can do now, isn't
0: it? I mean, I think technology is is like, we're in a new era now. I mean, it's just just crazy what you can do. I mean, every time I get a new software update, I'm like, what? It can do that? Mm. Wow. And I mean, it's like the new version of Cubase you can do, um, it can... He can put in like queen's bohemian rhapsody and it and it takes all the chords out of it for you and gives you wow. all chord, well, the chords out of the track that you put in in stereo and and it's like uh, it'd take ages for me to work with ah,
1: yeah.
0: and it gives you pretty much a good assumption of what they are
1: and and when you think you know where we came from at the table I mean, you you were lucky you had a friend who would look was into his sense and stuff like that for me it was like it felt like synthesizers and all that stuff was something that happened in London or some yeah. far away place. I would never get a chance to, to to get my hands on this stuff or whatever. And then through meeting like-minded people and knowing where to go and buy it, like the first couple of cents I bought were shit kids toys because I really yeah, that, didn't know what I was buying.
0: I was the same, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I really didn't really get a grasp of... You know, I mean, a because they were so fucking expensive. <laughs> he yep. couldn't. He, he literally couldn't afford them. Yep. And then, then you know, by the time he could afford them, the root of day and he and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were prehistoric. And I mean, in my case, by the time I got into the the analog stuff, it would come back around, and it was twice. <laughs> 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 That's what it was back in the day. But I loved it. I mean, I, I loved. Um, going to the music shop and there was another town close by and and there was a there was a really cool guy in there that worked and uh, it was called Clinky's Music Shop and he moved the guy that was there I can't remember his name he was a really young guy and he was really switched on to all the modern tech and he eventually ended up in sound control in Edinburgh I think it was and it was like you know, I used to go there, and he used to say, "This is what's cool. This is what's cool. Buy this. You can buy that." So, I mean, I think the very first real synthesizer that I liked was the game One, which was what
1: an amazing entry point, man. I,
0: it was, it was. It was the pianos in that were that were '90s rave pianos. can yeah. kind of, I mean, they were just the classic sounds and so many classic sounds in them. And then, kind of like the JV80. I mean, people asked me what did you write the Freedom album on, and I was like, well, it was a JV80. It was a Korg one. It was an Akai S950 sampler, and um, I think there was a Quasar in there. Which was an amazing piece of kit. I wish somebody would do, a, do a software version of the Quasar. Yeah. I loved it.
1: Really I really had cool. a love hate relationship with Quasar. It was great for all the kind of crazy sounds and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. as a synth, it was the, It was. It was more it like was, a sample was, bank almost,
0: wasn't it? And yeah. a rack. It was kind of like pre precursor to Nexus. I, <laughs> it was. It was like somebody had thought this is great. We'll just take all the great sounds in it, but you can't really fuck with them as much as you yeah. want to.
1: I so. think Leftfield run start the Quasar on their leftism album because you hear a lot of yeah. the sounds on that yeah it's a good wee
0: box I mean, there was just there was just so many nice little things in it, and um, so those were kind of my mainstays. Those four for for, but there was some samples in there, you know, samples in the in the s nine fifty that were like the big brass sound that was in Freedom and stuff like that, like the hard kicking brass sound that was like a couple of AKS nine fifty samples layered together. And again, with Freedom, I mean, when I wrote Freedom, um, I actually had to record it in the archives nine fifty. We didn't have like digital audio at that point i mean you I, know it was a lot
1: of DAT recorder or anything like that
0: no no i didn't i had a, i had a reel to reel believe it i was really wow. <laughs> and um it just wasn't cutting it and and what i did was i just recorded the vocals in sections or little kind of 10 15 second samples so uh, she would come in and moira would be singing and i would just say right stop <laughs> next bit stop
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and then please in
0: Place it all together and then I think a year or two later um Atari came out with the um the one that actually had audio recording built into it um and Steinberg Pro Pro 12 or pro24 it was um at that point um was the kind of main tool for building tracks and stuff and mm-hmm. I mean I have been a lot of people have been logic users you can and and um I've always been a Steinberg person and have been from day one and still am because I just like it. I find it very simple. Uh-huh. It's me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but I, 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 I was the same. Like I went from computer sequencing and uh, it was the Amiga and then obviously Cubase. But then I, I switched to Logic and mm-hmm. I see Cubase becoming more like Logic. Now, it's almost like the two of them are pretty much the same. Yeah. And a couple of times I've worked with people who use, still use Q to, uh, Cubase. Mm-hmm. thought to myself, I quite fancy going back to that because it looks great. And now that you're saying things like you can dump chords in or songs oh. in that will
0: give you the cause I'm going wow that's just fucking amazing it is I mean what they've done with Cubase in the past 2-3 years I mean Cubase 12 is just. it's got Dolby Atmos built in it now as well I think Logic has as well but Dolby Atmos is built into Cubase so you didn't have to buy Atmos Render or anything like that it's all built in so you can go into multiple speaker systems quite quickly um, oh, yeah. and I, I just love the fact that they've kind of tried to make it you know like they've got their own version of melodyne because i used melodyne for a long time and then i, I, I started using the video audio and cubase and it, and it's phenomenal and i mean just the fact that you can format voices so if you sing something it doesn't sound too great and you want to just drop the format in a bit so you sound a bit deeper and a bit ballsier mm-hmm. instead of speaky kid
1: <laughs> yeah wait
0: Or if you want to go the opposite way and get that old school high pitch kind of female squeaky voice Mm -hmm. type thing, you can do that as well. I mean, I used to love this plugin. You used to get it was it was um, all it did was it it, it tuned the vocal up and and but it kept it the same key, so it tuned the 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 format up. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but everybody was using it in the '90s and that. And this is what built into Cubase now. You can all these kind of stuff that you like. Wow! If I had that,
1: uh, I need to check it out, man.
0: But I mean, before freedom, what? So you built up the sense.
1: Mm-hmm. You're writing tracks in the house. Wh- when are you taking on the road? How's that coming about?
0: Um, and, well, and what
1: happened? And how's QFX coming about? Was there a band before it, or was that your first foray into?
0: Um, basically, Gicking. what ha- what happened was um, I kind of I kind of started building up the sense stuff, and um, I'd got a job like everybody else working in in a woolen mill and um during the day when i was or during my shift when i was working on the machine once i got the machine running i could spend 30 minutes at the bottom writing some tunes and writing some songs in my head and writing some lyrics down in that and making up some melodies in my head and then uh, i went through that period for like three years of being in, in and then i lost my job because it was like first in last out. Again. yeah yeah Last in, first out kind of thing. Um, and I had kind of built up this arsenal of equipment. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? So, What okay, kind of years is this, cork. This was, uh, I was probably 19. So kind of a 19-year-old. So that was like four years after kind of starting into music. I got this kind of shock like, oh, you're, there's no job for you now. So what are you going to do? So I was kind of like, well, I've been toying with music anyway. Let's open a studio. So I opened the studio and, um, you know, started a bit of recording musicians. So I was recording, like, rock acts and kind of things that were kind of out of order. And I was working with people like Jesse Ray and Fish from Marillion and stuff oh, wow. like that. And um, I was really pretty shit at it, but it gave me a basics on aye, how aye. stuff. You're just and learning hands on. Aye. And, What's and, this,
1: 8990 uh, or something you're doing this? What kind of use is this?
0: Yeah, that must have been, that must have been 89, around about 89, 90, um, because it was like, I was 21, 22, it was 92 when, when I, I got QFX going, um, but that basically came about by accident because I was, I was, I'd went through the studio thing and it wasn't working, I'd done about two years of the studio and... Uh, my dad had died, so it was kind of like, I was kind of up in the air at the point. And I just thought, I had not got the time for this. I'm just going to concentrate on writing music. And obviously I've been writing kind of dance music. I was kind of into the whole kind of... Um, early synth stuff and I was also in kind of the, the production side like the Stock Aiken and Waterman Saw side I was listening to their records and thinking the production on these is fucking phenomenal mm-hmm. and the pace and the, and, the, and the sound of them was great and so I started kind of producing and writing that kind of genre of music where I was trying to emulate what they were doing with the, the big SSL desks and that but I mean obviously you couldn't get anywhere near it with a crappy old Soundcraft desk that was pretty much buggered by the point and got to the, when I could afford it knobs <laughs> <laughs> falling off everywhere hardly working you know but I hum on it like fucking nobody's business <laughs> I am washing my socks <laughs> so I I enjoyed it I really did I thought I thought you know let's, let's do this kind of dance here production stuff and I got in tow with this guy locally and he, and he says oh there's this record company called Stepping Out Records and that and they would be interested in this kind of dance music and I was like right okay so we sent them a couple of tracks that we'd made together and Ian Robertson came down and was like ah these are great can I can sign these and all that and and then I was like totally naive about how the music industry really worked at that point. I mean because we
1: all were I mean we were I don't even think the business even came into it at that time didn't it no it was just like getting your music out or whatever oh yes let's go.
0: Yeah yeah so I was kind of like i'd been i'd, I'd kind of tried to sign a few of the rock acts to labels in london I'd worked a wee bit with certain labels like polygram and polydor and sony and all these guys in the early days and used to used to kind of go scouting for them in scotland but never really kind of the one re- the thing the problem with that part before i go i go into the qfx thing was even though I was I was working for them, I was trying to get them to hold an A&R guy in Scotland so because all the talent was coming to Scotland musically. And I says, why don't you have somebody up here? You can just pay me a retainer. Every record will pay me a retainer. And any time you want me to go and find ye, uh, an artist in Scotland, I'll go watch them and stuff. And it'll be like 100 quid rather than spending like two grand on sending your A&R guy up. Mm-hmm. But then after it, it was kind of like I realized that these guys came up here to spend two grand because they could get off their tits and fucking uh, spend the artist's money it's not even their right. money. <laughs> so, so, there was never any way they were ever going to give me a job in Scotland Look at uh, trying to find artists because for the AR guys this was their like a yeah, yeah we're to to Scotland we're going to get totally off our tits <laughs> it doesn't matter if we sign anybody because they'll still pay us two grand to go up there and do yep. it so the stupidity of that kind of brought me to the realisation that when it came to doing dance music and then Kind of like stepping out records coming forward. I wasn't, I wasn't like going, yeah, I'm definitely going to sign this. And we spoke about signing the tracks, and I think we did another track for them, which was like a remix or some '90s track, early the early late '80s, early '90s track that was really popular back in the day, and they wanted to recreate it, and we did that. Me and the guy and sent them it and loved it. Um, Is this under
1: the name QFX?
0: no it was still no. it was still just it was just me and this guy doing it there wasn't any kind of name and it wasn't until I kind of separated from that guy and kind of separated we didn't really have any signing to step in it was just basically we gave them something and they kind of liked it but it never got anywhere so I kind of started writing this other stuff in the bedroom on my own the QFX stuff and doing and and what we found was that it was really difficult to get a label we got signed to DC 10 records which was two guys from one for Grangemouth and one from yeah they were, sorry they were both from Grangemouth and I remember I'd sent them a demo I don't know how I'd got in touch with them but I sent them a demo and they says oh come and have a meeting with us. so we met at Waverley Station in Edinburgh and they're like right we like what you're doing but you need to come up with a name for this act and, and make it an act and I'm like well I have no idea what what is, and they were like, well, it's stuff like um, TTF and QTX and da da da, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, and he's like, so you need to come up with kind of something, and I was I was sitting there at a the table, and I went, what about QFX? So like you're Q and FX into the mix, and that it's kind of technical, kind of kind of idea and i'm like that sounds great just go with that so that's how we come up with qfx
1: and i never actually thought it's it's, when you see because i was going to say what does it mean but obviously you've explained that that's pretty cool no qfx i never i never put the two together
0: so that was how we came up with, it. and obviously we've changed it over the years. So, can people were saying, "No, it's, it sounds much better if you just say it's quite fucking excellent." <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what we've, we've kind of turned it around to, to quite. Better. But I know, um, I know, I know. Honestly, it was it was Q and FX in the mix, and and that's how we came up with it at the train station that day. And then we released. It was called the Themes EP. Um, what years was? Like, this? That's night. That was. That was early '92. Um, this was before I formed Epidemic Records. It was it was either right at the end of '91 or the start of '92, if I remember right, and it um, they, they came out and it did really well. People really liked it, even though it was, in my opinion, it was it was very very um, eight, late '80s dance. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you yeah, kind of stocky in influences in there or nah, you
0: no know, nah, more it was much more clubby and it was much more kind of um, undergroundy. But I mean, it, it, it basically was theme tunes that I liked, like Star Trek and right. The Adams Family and things off the of TV. It was like kind of samples of them in it, but with kind of techno background on uh-huh. it. So um, it came out and it did really well. All the all the press and sold, all the vinyl sold, and and people started to kind of want something else and. I just kind of realised at that point. I mean, we'd only done the one record, and the guys were great, absolutely fantastic guys. But it just didn't seem the way forward for me. And my partner at the time, she says, "Can well, surely you we must can do this ourselves, you can." And and I says, "Well, I think we should do it ourselves." So we just pressed. We just basically formed Epidemic Records, and just said, "Right, we're going to we're going to release this stuff under Epidemic Records." So we pressed the first EP. Trying to remember, I think it was a virtual reality EP, and there was four tracks on it. And virtual reality, I think Whiplash was on it. Kick some bass. Um, I can't remember all the tracks that were on it, but it was uh, we pressed. I think we pressed a thousand. And we borrowed the money to press them off of somebody. I think it was off my mum or something. We borrowed the money, pressed the records, and went round all the record shops in Scotland ourselves in the car, drove to the record shops. Do you fancy this and walked in the door of the record shops and we're like, This is our new stuff, QFX. And i we're QFX, we'll take it, we'll take a, we'll take a box, we'll take two boxes.
1: Because the other one had done so well, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, so so they knew the name.
0: Yeah, so they, they kinda knew it. And by the time we got to the to the last record shop, there was something like there was a lot of record shops. It was like 30 to 40 record shops in Scotland at the time over the whole of Scotland. And by the time we got to the last record shop, they were phoning up saying, we've sold it, we need more. We can. Oh, so we're straight back on the press and pressing and more. How and did, on,
1: sorry to interrupt, but how did you, is it through your dealings with the DC10 guys and that that you kind of knew what pressing plant to go to? And, you know, the, the business end of things, how from was it yeah, past experiences yeah. that you knew where it Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky. I'd, I'd been given, kind of like they say, I, I'd, I'd parted on good terms, and I says, look, can, let's just, and he says, look, if you need any help, and I says, well, what's that i my own label? And he says, well, this is a pressing plant we used, and, and they gave me the number. That's and that, brilliant. That's it's helpful. great
1: to hear these guys with DC. It's great to hear that there's good people out there, because Oh yeah. B- b- there's a scene full of sharks, and I, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. If, if I think of my experience, and if I'd have said to Bill Granger, you know, he did everything in his power to try and stop us from going elsewhere for information, whereas ah, the guys yeah. have just went there. You go. And that's that's so good to hear. You know, because it could have been a horror story,
0: Kirk. It could have been. I mean, there was a lot of horror stories in the Scottish dance music scene, and um, I think we got really lucky with that. And we also, we also had. um and we also had something on Shoop as well with Gordon um, with Shoop Records, and I think it was through Shoop and through we met this guy Hamish in uh, one of the one of the record shops, and he was distributing for Mo's Music, and so we we we, we you could see even even with just the, like two three thousand records that we'd pressed and sold out that um it was like building really really quickly and i I think even 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 that first record kind of charted in the in the uk chart main charts like about 80 or something like that this was when the uk top 40 actually extended beyond 12 Mm -hmm. records (laughs) and it went all the way up to 100 so it had actually done really well and people would actually noticed it and and this guy hamish says, oh i noticed it in the in the chart thing and that and um can, we could probably distribute for you can through Moe's Music Machine. So we signed a distribution deal with Moe's Music Machine, and that really led to us being able to release tracks and have hits. You
1: know, w- release it UK wide, kind of thing, through the UK-wide, distribution
0: company? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And once the distribution came on board, I mean, obviously, um, we were doing, st- I, I'd done the, I had pretty much the Freedom album written by this point before we signed the distribution. Um, and I can't remember which came, far. we did not that two EPs, they came out, they did really well, and we were ready to release the album, and I think it was just about that point we decided to do Every Time You Touch Me, because... Um, was that on the first album, or was that... no, nah, no, nah, it was nah, after. It was on after it, but I mean, the album was pretty much complete, and I remember getting getting this remix disc from sound on sound or some magazine and it it had that this Moby track on it every time he touched me and uh, that he wanted people to remix it and it was a gave away
1: all the stems for the track kind of thing to remix it it
0: was just the vocal right it was just the vocal from what i remember and um so i just did my version of it and i sent it in and it never got anywhere and i happened to play it to the guy for distribution and he went oh that's fucking brilliant you need to release that so then we, we released the kind of did some other mixes of the track and, and released it and and lo and behold, it charted in number twenty two in the UK chart and about wow. half days. What, so, what was this?
1: What? Uh, how long after the Moby thing did your thing go into the charts? Because oh, the Moby one was huge.
0: It, it it wasn't actually huge. It didn't. It was really low in the top forty. Was originally. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The QFX version actually put the track on the market. It was big on the underground, the Moby one.
1: Well, maybe that's where I remember playing gigs in Europe and stuff like that, and, you know, hearing it there, and it's been a fucking huge track.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was massive. I think his version in in the underground club was really big, but it never charted well at all. I think it was like. 38 or something like that so this was about a year, I think it was about a year after Moby's thing had been done and dusted that we did it and um, it came out and it was great kind and this of, is
1: on your own label as well
0: yeah yeah it's on our that's own phenomenal. label that's phenomenal so we kind of we kind of went I think at the same time as that the Freedom album came out and that became that went into the UK album chart um, top 20 if I remember right uh, so we were kind of like we actually then got the call we can like you know you've actually made money <laughs> what we've made some money uh-huh. so I was lucky because we, we made enough money to buy our first house off that first album and Probably. and kind of you know give us a kind of footing for moving forward with the second album the, the, the next single and I'm trying to remember I think we did we did um it's, see, my my mind's terrible for you.
1: It's things. hard to try to put any dates, but I mean, yeah. it's just to give the listeners a kind of idea of your timeline.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think possibly Freedom might have possibly been released prior to Every Time You Touched Me, um, and it just made the bottom end of the 40, um, so it kind of didn't really do what we'd hoped it, so that was why every time you Touched Me came out and hit, smashed it, and then we went back and we did uh, we did the, the new track, You Got The Power um, that I wrote, and that went into the top 40, um, 33 I think it was. Again, on our own label. So everything that was done was on our own label. I think one of the big things that really helped us was right early on from when we first started the label, we went in and went to John Menzies. Mm-hmm. and who actually badgered them in John Menzies and they'd said they, their record department at the time had kind of contacted head office and said oh you know this re- these everybody's coming in asking for this record everybody's wanting to know you know what this record is and, and who's who this is and stuff QfX and so when we phoned up head office we actually were able to speak to somebody and said yeah yeah we'll we'll give you a, a sale or return you can stock it on sale or return. So we actually were the first independent in Scotland to get into John Menzies. right? And and that really, I think that helped the charts side of things hugely. So would you say
1: from the band's inception, you, you had your eyes on being a chart act, like hitting the charts, it was important to you to hit the chart. I mean, because the, 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 maybe the EPs and stuff like that, you're getting a lot of underground success, but quite quickly it's transferring into like a, a chart thing.
0: Is that... Maybe your I commercial think, background, and you're focusing on. I wasn't really focused on the charts. I mean, obviously, everybody dreams of being, you know, successful in the charts and getting on top of the pops. And for me, it was like I was just writing the music that uh, the way I heard it, and you know, and, and producing it the way I, I liked the sound of it. Um, there wasn't any kind of real formula to the to the music. It was just like whatever the tracks put up and, and obviously I kind of my influence and my melodic influence kind of just set how they were going to sound and I did I think probably the one thing that I did do that was kind of very kind of towards the charts was kept them really short you know three and a half minutes was like I think I think in a club as well I think you've got to have a real dedicated following that want to listen to something that's six minutes long mm-hmm. you know Whereas I think the way, the thing about QFX was it was like bang, 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 just three and a half minutes of just uplifting tracks. That's what we wanted. And that's what I liked. And I think that's why the gigs we were doing, I mean, the Northeast, the gigs we were doing in the Northeast were like two a week. You've always been
1: massive in the Northeast, isn't it? That's pretty much QFX's home, minute, it? Really, that. Yeah. yeah, I've never known anybody Ireland. to gig as much as near as yourselves.
0: Yeah, I mean we we were we were super lucky because we were we were doing a lot of underground clubs. Um, you know, we were doing like Rock Shots and we were doing the Coliseum and we we're doing After Dark and the Venue in Spain and Spanium. We were doing all the big underground clubs. I mean, these were real underground heavy clubs, but. Uh, I mean, some of them weren't that heavy musically, like Rock Shots and that was more kind of Italian Piano House and stuff like that, which I loved. I loved Italian Piano House
1: mm-hmm.
0: music. And um, so I think we kind of built this following in there really quickly. And it, and it really... I would say all the places... I mean, there was one point you couldn't go into a shop in Newcastle and the Freedom album wasn't getting played. It was literally (laughs) You you would walk into any close shop, any shop in Newcastle and it was Freedom that was getting played, the album and and all the tracks. And I think that's definitely what helped. And we were really quite close with some of the radio guys down there as well. So they were really champion QFX. Do you think you
1: being on the borders really helped? Because you were kind of like pretty much on the doorstep as well they probably seen you as a supporting a local band kind of thing or something like that. probably seen you guys as them
0: yeah yeah totally i mean we've always felt like newcastle and northeast was part of our home you can i mean yeah we're, we're 45 50 miles from newcastle or something where i stayed but it was just that great fact that we could be doing there or we could be in glasgow mm-hmm. so we could be we could be in the northeast in an hour, whereas we could be in Glasgow in two hours. So it, it, once it started to kick off everywhere, you were kind of like trying to get as many gigs in as possible in the one night. And I mean back in the back in the nineties, it was crazy. You were doing like <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there was a bank holiday, Ken. That was that was it. And you were doing you were doing an under eighteens, then you were doing an over eighteens. Yeah. you're like, this is crazy. You were, were absolutely I mean, literally you had to sleep the whole week just to recover yeah. from the because it was just so crazily busy and you were driving constantly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was nonstop. And no what makes me laugh. There was sometimes two or three all night raves zone in Scotland
0: oh. <laughs> in one weekend. <laughs> I know. I know, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I just the, the the clubbers were just so immense, especially in Scotland in the northeast. I mean, I think this is I mean, you went to a gig in Scotland, you went to a gig in the northeast and these people were absolutely up for it mm-hmm. for 12 hours.
1: I right, feel the t- doors open to the close there. Eh?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even when the doors closed, they were <laughs> 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 and we were going home and they were having the after parties, again. it lasted for like, till the next rave almost, again. Yeah. It, it was awesome, I mean, and the people were just awesome, I loved the people, because I mean I, it was a very strange thing for me, because I'm not a drug orientated person, never have been and it came for a kind of borders town where that drugs were like they're for sheep and horses you can (laughs) 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 rather than for people so i went to these clubs and i saw people happy and just enjoying themselves and there was no violence it was just love and you know everybody was cuddling each other and and i never really saw any violence in the dance scene until drug uh, drink became involved as soon Mm -hmm. as drink became involved the scene took a, a big nosedive in my opinion you know and i think the government knew that i mean i think one of the reasons i mean i know that it, it was a gig in newcastle and um i was working on this track and it, the police were starting to close the clubs down. they were clamping down, and it's kind of like mid 90s or something cock. yeah 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 and well it was just before i'd written just before the uh, doing the there they started to clamp down quite quickly it took a bit longer in scotland but there you know freedom and freedom was written because of the fact that i could see that the, the, the clubs were starting to get ah, okay trouble and uh, and 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 that was the whole point of the song was about it was being able to go be free enjoy yourself and dance to the music and and just uh, you know love it mm-hmm. and, and and i saw i saw the government coming in and just basically trying to destroy something that they weren't there. Basically they weren't making any money off it, so they were they were raging. So nah,
1: they couldn't tax anything.
0: They couldn't tax anything, and as soon as the government can't tax anything, you know, it's that's it. It's it's it's, it's a mute point with them. Um and it's the same way can like I think cannabis will be legalized in Britain soon because they the can tax it. So they can tax it. I mean it's legal here in Czech Republic. You can get out of end the machine. I <laughs> <tell us. laughs>
1: Your deck is going to be legalised and it's cannabis is legalised in Czech Republic at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of places
0: in Europe where it, it, it's, it's you know, legalised. And, um but it was just, I mean, for me, it was just the whole, you know, the whole scene was just built on a kind of harmony and love. And yep. um I mean, I wasn't for people taking drugs, but I was for people being happy and enjoying mm. themselves. And if that's what kind of seemed to make them happy along with the music then it was a win-win situation in my book and i loved the fact that the people were so um together i mean it, it was funny you were walking through a 90s rave and and everybody was just oh i love you man i love yeah. you and their eyes were like Woo. <laughs> i mean even
1: i mean i think when we first met we were doing early gigs in northern ireland remember we've done some yeah. kind of tour together and That's for right. me it was like you knew all the troubles it was there but these raves were like you were seeing catholics and protestants raving together and the every all the troubles was put yeah. to the side
0: which totally. was an eye-opener on itself wasn't it yeah yeah i mean I, I remember you know playing um i think it was exit 15 mm-hmm. and um you know there were like protestants and catholics in the same building and they were just and people actually Breaking down that barrier or the this divide and and coming together and uniting and it was absolutely amazing to see and 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 really inspirational kind of like that people were getting inspired by all the music that was mm-hmm. there and just you know they were in it for the right reasons which was yep. can, harmony or or the human race again, rather than destruction and stuff which I think is great about the scene. I, I totally agree and I think. The
1: scene kind of gets a bad name in the, the kind of local—I know the local, but the the, the, the press in general—and I and I think if you actually take a minute and look at all the good that it's done, as in bringing people, communities, religions, people—you know—even if you you you, you get you know, like, all the different sexes and stuff like, nothing really mattered when everybody was together on the dance floor, and it probably. Yeah it probably done a lot of good to mend the world at the time you know you need to think about all oh, the football right. violence and all that kind of stuff that was going totally. on when, when I was certainly going to, at the weekend it was avoiding a fight yeah 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 whereas the rave scene kicked off it was just like everybody was in this together
0: yeah yeah totally and I think I think in, in general I think that's why it's survived the the, the this long, you know, I mean, why 30 odd years later, we're still here and we're still doing what we do and what we love is because the people that went through that period, Knew it was it was a unique period in history. Mm. It's a unique time where people were able to come together and you know be as one together yep. and enjoy the love of music and to be like you and me to be part of that. We were really blessed, and I think and I still feel blessed to this day to be on stage and to be able to meet the people that have supported us all these years. Mm-hmm. I think yeah.
1: I think the punters know that, cook, mm. because. You know yourself. There's, yeah, we've probably b- both encountered other people that their, their mindset and their attitudes totally different. Mm. And I think punters can see through that. And I think part of the longevity is when maybe a punter meets you, or, or I'd like to think me as well. They know that our passion's still there, and we appreciate everything, and we don't take it for granted. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: that people can see that and they sense that. Totally. I think I think we've got to know, take it for, for granted because, I mean, I, I know that whoever will, but I mean, I think these people have learned from us that can music is such a healing experience mm. and that, you know, it's great. I, I mean, I, I still kind of believe today that I can go to a club and sometimes you can see three generations of people that are into your music and you're right. like, well, spooky, you know. And um, but you love it, it just the same. And I mean, we did loads of touring doing stuff for kids and that, and that kind of really helped us get that next generation, the second generation. But the, it was the it was the grannies and the, the grandparents <laughs> that actually got, you know, the third generation yep. still still mentally into it, you know. Right, and still
1: it get brought up as part of their their their, their you know, like their parents or grandparents listening to the music. And they're brought up with it. subconsciously they're liking it because it's
0: in yeah. the house. Yeah, totally. And we we if you look at if you look at bands like the Stones and stuff like that, they, they've they've survived as long for that reason as well as because not only was the music good, but the people you know have played it generation after generation, mm-hmm. and new generations are finding it. And I think that's the great thing about some remixes as well, because remixes um, like a modern take on, on even if it was a '90s track or a '70s track or an '80s track, whatever it is. reinvigorates that track to Mm. to a new audience and it's funny it's funny like when my son says to me oh this is great this track and it's like yeah that was originally recorded in
1: 1950 by this artist Ah, you sound like the old guy they just give you the (laughs) old old fart what do you know Um, so going back a wee bit as well you've Mm -hmm. got QFX up the road you've got your own label started yeah the How's the band coming together? Is it are you just asking friends? No, because remember, I mean, it's still still again. I saw, uh, well, I never actually got to see the full set, but I met you all before the gig, and you're still very much travelling with the band. You've got Heather singing, you've got dancers and MCs. You're still very much a touring band when you're on yeah. the road. How did that come together? Is that just gradually getting flung together as the gigs are gone?
0: No, I mean, right from the word go, we were kind of. Um, I had a dancer, another local guy, uh, Davey Walker, that mm-hmm. was dancing for us and an awesome dancer. And then. A lovely guy as well. Shout out oh, yeah, to He's an absolute Gemma guy and such a talented producer now. Yeah, what, what a talented dancer he was then and still is. And he was local he was in the band early right from pretty much the word go and then david gunnery came along pretty much within a month or so we were still looking for dancers because the local ones that i picked kind of really had other commitments and stuff like that so this guy i got a message through the, the qfx fan club can can kind of come and audition as a dancer and David just came out the army so he was young fit and full of nonsense and um, he just he just fitted perfectly so he came and stayed and and then obviously we kind of picked up we didn't really have a singer for for like the first year or so we were kind of out gigging and then we met Moira at the Tuxedo Princess and she was saying, "Oh, I used to be in a band and that, and and, and I'm a singer." And I was like, "Cool." She says, "Do you want to do a song together?" And she's like, "Yeah, that would be great." So, anyways, when I when I'd written "Freedom" and that, and she came in and and she just fitted perfectly to the song. And she she started doing gigs with us and started to get a couple of other numbers together for her to sing. And and then at that point, I had this kind of Mad notion in my head that it would be great to do two singers in the band. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> 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 and um, performance-wise, really, amazing, but a logistical nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I, I mean, I, I'm still from the old ABBA days where you, you, you have four singers on stage, and um, here's this. Here's me thinking it would be great for the punters to see two singers singing together and singing songs together and that and if they can so each did a kind of I'd written a track for Heather and Heather came in and did some some stuff and Neil Neil had joined as the MC at that point Neil joined as the MC first and then Heather came in MC
1: Voyager
0: yeah yeah MC Voyager and then then Heather came in to sing along with Moira and um it was quite harmonious for a while and then it just kind of didn't work and and, um, Moira had other stuff that she wanted to be getting on with and she kind of said, right, I've done my bit and Heather took over and and Heather was there for a long time doing kind of a lot of the tracks um, on stage and kind of just, it just kind of I don't know, singers singers are great but I think they need a challenge every now and again to move Mm -hmm. on to pastures and we didn't always. I mean, I was a bit of an arsehole at the time, so <laughs> um, I've got to admit it. I kind of I mean I was focused on the band and everything had to be right. And but I was never nas- n- never nasty at my singers on stage. I, th- I always thought they were amazing. You kind of I loved what they did. Mm-hmm. and They were fantastic, but. Um, I was really kind of everything had to go like clockwork, and everybody had to be there on time, and everybody yep. had to be on stage on time, and we had to be professional, and we couldn't have any dramas and stuff like that. So things just kind of kind of kind of fizzled out a bit, and and then another singer came and joined, which was Carrie um, for a little bit, and that didn't kind of really work out very well because she kind of decided that she wanted to go do Eurovision like after we just had the charts and I'm like seriously you're in the top 40 you've got a chance at Top of the Pops and now you want to to do Eurovision okay fair enough so that was when Debbie joined and, and well Debbie had been a dancer and she started singing and um Kind of lasted the longest and then Heather come back which I'm really grateful for because kind of, I love Heather to bits and I've got a lot of time for her now whereas I probably didn't have the same time when I was younger and, and more kind of full on
1: well when you think about it when you were younger mate you were running a label which in itself is a, is a full time business you're also mm-hmm. writing all the music for the band and then you're managing it the best for it. what's that Managing it as well, managing, I managed the band and you know everything around about it, and then being in the middle of a very competitive scene, which only now being older, looking back, I never liked the 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 sort of competition. It almost felt like with all the Scottish groups, but now looking back as an elder statesman, (laughs) I feel like it was probably good for the music and the punters, because they get yeah. the best out of us all. Yeah. At the time you really felt as if you were in this kind of horrible at times, competition kind of feeling. Aye, there wasn't aye, really aye. that. As much as everybody, maybe, in the, the rave scene was together as one, the bands backstage, it was very much a, I, I don't know, like a jostling, on who's better than the other, rather is like Look, no, no, we can all have a laugh and stuff like that, but back
0: then, it was pretty intense at times, wasn't it? Was, it? it was very intense, and and. and to be honest, I kind of blame I blame Club Scene for that because I think Club Scene had their artists, and while that artist was with them, everybody else took second fiddle. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we joined Club Scene for literally two months, and Ultras—I mean, you'd been under TTF at Club Scene, and then you were Ultrasonic was the main act at Club Scene, and then QFX came along, and and Bill was like yeah yeah we'll, we want to sign you and stuff like that and we'll do this for you and we'll do that for you and we were there like three months and and we'd been getting gig after gig after gig and then all of a sudden we've got no gigs and we're like what's going on here why have we got no gigs
1: did Shilly. you hand over to them to be your agent as well
0: and stuff like that? right yeah and bill was like nobody wants you and i was like what do you mean nobody wants us and he says uh, nobody's into QFX, you know, unfortunately. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Bye, bye, Bill. Uh, That's all I need to hear, yeah, uh, And he's like, oh, you can't leave. And I says, uh, I beg to differ. <laughs> he says, <laughs> we've signed a contract. And I says, see your contract. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like that, but he knew, he knew, he knew that there was nothing he could really do. Uh-huh. So, uh, literally, we we took on our own management, and within a week us being back, we had sixty gigs. Yeah you know we're booked for the full year and and it was like that. that's where I saw that the, it wasn't so much the artists I don't think that had the problem with each other I think it was people that were kind of managing and looking after them were like oh they're shit you can't they're can't you don't want to have anything to do with them I think they were scared of us having any kind of unity together okay. because I mean one thing I always did was I always, always respected Ultrasonic. I always respected all the other bands. always felt, whether they were my cup of tea or whether they were no my cup of tea, they were good at what they did. And you I were think together, all doing the same stuff. Sort of and, and like you say, I think that maybe that little kind of, bit of difference between each other actually made us up our game. Yeah, went out on stage, and that that made it better for the punters yep. because I think if it'd been not uh, harmonious at that point, things would things wouldn't have maybe people would have took a kind of back seat and no kind of, kind of chilled a bit rather than saying right we need to do better yep. we need to make the show better we need to do this, right. and it pushed us and pushed us and pushed us, and and what. Our, miss the most now it's like what and people ask me because i get asked for bookings all the time can you just come and do a dj set and i'm like no nah, i can't dj worth mints and I'll admit, <laughs> uh, I, I just i, I just kind of get that I, I i've never maybe maybe on these modern decks where uh-huh. things are simple and you got beat matching, but on vinyl no nah, i was useless and I, I i was first to say no and then Eventually, after after a long time, I was just like, "No, QFX is a PA. That's what we are. Yep. I know what was go is a PA. And if if it ever stops being a PA, then can I'll not be there because I just want it to be everybody as a group on stage. Aye, doing that's it. where, you're, where yep. your heartless. And and to be fair, you're very much stuck true to the
1: format that you started back in the day. Yeah, whereas yeah. a lot, of, I mean, even me doing the ultrasonic thing, I'm the last man standing. I'll occasionally walk with Heather. I've got, you know, we join come on certain gigs and do a bit of dancing, but it's pretty much a kind of stripped back DJ sort of version.
0: But it's different. It's still different to the DJ sets that you do. You can, and I, and I, and I really appreciated that the fact that you can, you've actually taken the ultrasonic thing and you've, and you've brought it to a kind of new format that I think a lot of people can understand. And 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 your character's bigger than life on stage. You can—that's that, the great thing about him all. you, Ma. You're you're this massive character on stage, and and I think even from the early days when I saw you DJing, I, you could tell you were different to every other DJ. Do you get know what I mean? You were you were well, you facts, were no no, but that, that's my observation observes of, of what you do on stage. You just whether it's DJing. You, you, you do a great set you play the music that you want you get the people you read them you're a one man army up there and then you go on and you do the ultrasonic thing and you just take it to a different level again and I mm-hmm. think the people appreciate that and all as right. well. but just, like uh,
1: the again just again like just going through everything like well that's great that we're agreeing on like in our the rivalry helped us bring out a game because you're doing big raves and stuff like our clubs and there's three or four bands in the lineup and we're all going there with attitude like I want to be the best on the night. This is so the dancers are pulling out mad stuff and you know I, I remember I think it was a gig we were doing in the metro or something like that. I'm sure it was a metro or I, I, I might be mistaken, but that was the first time I seen like your dancers like doing like backflips and everything and I was just like fucking hell this is like this is like next level kind of stuff and then it got to a point where I felt now I might be wrong but I just I felt it was like we were all getting booked on the merits of our dancers there was a point in time when it was like the dancers were, the music was secondary
0: <laughs> it was how I think, good the show was <laughs> I think I think it was all I think it was a combination of everything I mean uh, uh-huh. I mean the, the dancers were phenomenal we can't uh-huh. ever take that away from them and like you say I think I think the Everybody's show, like whether it was the Ultrasonic show, the QFX show, or whatever PA it was, we all had our own merits. And I think musically, I think certain bands stood stood above other people. And I think the the shows even helped them even more. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you cannot, like Ultrasonic had its own sound. It was that sound that they had, and everybody that was into that sound loved it. Like, and, and I think that was great because it was it wasn't what I was trying to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of, I, I mean, you sound and stuff like that as yeah, well.
0: because I, I always felt like QFX was like the 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 kind of the light entertainment that came on and and, and kind of took it in a different way. It was kind of more upbeat, happy. Kind, there wasn't any real darkness to the mm-hmm. set. It was always, and 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 for me, that was what what QFX was about. It was and and still is is about. Us being happy on stage and making the people happy because we're there to entertain them. Mm. We can, as soon as as soon as somebody starts thinking that, that that they're not there today, entertainment for the crowd, then that's their downfall. And uh, opinion. I, you know, you, 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 whether he become the biggest DJ in the world, whether you're the, the 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 smallest DJ in the world, you've still got to have that thing where you're there for the people.
1: Uh, you, oh. Your job is to make them dance, and if you think otherwise, you're. I don't know <laughs> where you're.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've seen some really brilliant DJs that used to play amazing sets and then they've gone out and played something that was just like... The crowd just didn't get it again. And I mean, I think that's the hardest thing for me as a writer and a producer is is, is trying to bring something fresh and new, but getting the crowd to understand it mm-hmm. and still love it as much as the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if you feel limited in that way, but I feel limited in that way that people expect me to write another album that sounds like Freedom album. But then, if I wrote another album that sounded like Freedom Album, like, oh, it was just like Freedom
1: Album. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I
0: don't you know, 100%. It, It's almost it
1: kind of like you're the victim of your own success. I mean, w- w- you mentioned the first EP or something that you put in, you, you listed three of the tracks, and I, and I know the three tracks, mm-hmm. and that's for your first EP, but they made an impact then, and they probably yeah. still appear in their big tracks in your set now. Yeah. And is... They're they're embedded into people's yeah. memories and makes yeah. so special. It means so much more to people than than we could probably under, understand. Mm-hmm. And I, and I totally get what you're saying. You want to make new music, but you have to. I don't know. You have to still kind of pay I mean, attention that, to that kind of stuff, and
0: it's it's really yeah. hard to get it right. I mean, it's really difficult for me because like people want me to go and play the whole Freedom album, and th- there is there is like maybe 40% of the audience that know that whole album and love that whole album but the other 60% want to hear other things that we've done like I mean obviously I've been blessed and QFX have been blessed we've had kind of hits with children in the night we've had Hits with Disco Land. Um, I mean, we were the main act that got the, two, the UK Top Forty for Children of the Night. Um, before it was Underground, then QFX did the, the remix, and they did it again. And Disco Land was the same. So we had all these tracks that were that were UK Top Forties, but there were also man before I even touched them or QFX touched them. They were they were anthems Underground, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I just got the privilege of actually being the person that went that did them and. Made them in the UK top forty charts, but they, 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 under no circumstances was it me that did that. It was the people that were underground, mm-hmm. following it underground, and just so happened that my my version kind of made it to the mainstream. So you've got to you got you to gotta feel blessed in that way. Of course, but do you, do you still do you actively look
1: for tracks now that you go I could put a QFX spin on that and that'd be massive. Is that
0: part of your Nah, no. No. Nah, no, nah. I mean I think I think it depends on what where what kind of venue I'm going into. Like next year we're booked for a lot of festivals. a, a, a lot of festivals. I think we've got eight, eight or nine festivals booked for next year. And um for me that is a different kind of show than that I would play at the Coliseum. Because I kinda kinda of punters that are at those shows or kind of people that are going to come along are going to be from maybe early twenties to 60s maybe 70s there's a huge vast and most of these festivals have lots of different types of arts on. so you've got I think you've got to give a show that's going to be different and you know I'm building a new show for next year that's you know it's based around the QFX classics but it's got other elements in there that are going to make people go and sing along and Mm -hmm. And just get into the whole festival vibe. And I think it's really important to do that, like for that, rather than, you know, if I go back and do another After Dark show or a Coliseum show or any of these old ones. I mean, it's like Love Decayed, um, and Alan Leck when we did stuff with Alan and Stephen. It was purely Alan wanted to hear the early, early stuff. So we would go in there and we would just smash pretty much everything that was on the Freedom album plus a couple of other bits and pieces, you know, into that show and and that worked really really well for that audience. But if, I think it's really difficult because you've got to really judge your audience. All right. you know, you're kind of
1: looking at your your live sets like a DJ would look at a crowd and you go right. I need to you know be aware of what's happening there because mm. the thing you get too many people just go right. There's a the ten tracks I'm going to play. Yeah. And they stick to that. And then that lasts all right for a while. And then things start to get a bit stale. And it's great just to see that you're still passionate about reinvigorating your set and your conscience of where you're playing and stuff. Because I think again, we've been doing it for thirty plus years. You could get so easily so lazy doing this. Yeah. It's passionate yeah. passion, it
0: keeps it exciting. It's good it's good. For me, a good show is 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 when a crowd a crowd is there for the whole show. Mm-hmm. They, kind of, I mean, they didn't. Go, they didn't. They didn't leave you halfway through the set to go do something else. Yeah. That. They, they stay there, and every song they're just completely getting. can for me, it was always about building them up, building them up, boom, and then a little bit of relaxation, and boom, and then build. Mm-hmm. Just like a DJ would, you can just playing with them to make sure that they're enjoying it. And obviously, you get to a point where you, you've worked a set out that it's like. Fuck, that's a great set. I really didn't want to change that set, but you've got to try and mix it up every now and again yep. and do something a little bit different. So, again, for like, I mean, for next year, if if we're back again um, at the Coliseum reunion or some, or whatever one it is next year, we'll, we'll re-, look, re look at the set mm-hmm. and re look at how we can freshen it up for that audience. Oh. But if they come and see us at a festival, they're going to get the classics, but they're also going to get something different
1: uh-huh. that's going to make them happy. And I think that's really important to do. We spoke about, you know, all the good times and stuff like that. And again, again, Kirk, it's it's how much you want to speak about. Was there ever a time when you felt like that was a peak or your first peak of QFX? Because then for me personally, I remember towards, I'd say like 97, 98, when when the music was kind of changing and... Roger and I were, were sort of more kind of excited about trans music, but Scotland wasn't there yet, and we, we kind of felt as if we were in this kind of wasteland almost. Did you yeah. ever get to a point when you felt, what, what, am, I, what am I doing next year? Where is Where has the scene gone? What's my place in it?
0: Well, I, I felt that the scene, like from the early days, was really quite happy and uplifting, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of Italian house and stuff, a lot of stuff that... Tom Wilson used to play and that and and then it got kind of really quite hard and it, and it got really I mean the bass generator stuff and that that kind of stuff was just like I would go into a club and I and I would hear this and you're like <laughs> fuck me and there wasn't a there wasn't a melody that you could hear or mm-hmm. sing to and 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 for me it kind of felt like are we going to go in like a red a lead brick here kind is this going to be good for us and it would go on and, and it would play a set that was just the normal set and we would uplift it for that hour or 40 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever we were doing and then it would go back to the, uh, 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 faster, faster, faster fuck, fuck, fuck here we go <laughs> <laughs> and I was like okay and then so I suppose towards the end of the scene I think it got a bit too hard I wouldn't say the scene ever died I think it just changed it, it, it matured and went somewhere else mm-hmm. and I think once Started to get the stuff coming in. I think Colours, kind of in the late, late 90s, Colours was starting to make a real big impact on what was going on in the scene. And um, I think uh, those shows started to become more international. You started to get people, DJs that were, weren't just UK DJs. And I think now it's gone kind of to the point where it's there isn't very many arcs from the UK actually appearing on most of the major shows here in the UK or Scotland. And it kind of disappoints me because one of the things that I really wanted to do was see new acts come up through the scene and mm. become new artists. And and I think to keep the scene alive, you really have to have that fresh blood. I mean, you can always yeah. have your, your, your long stays, but if you haven't got new music coming in that's no from an international level, I mean international everybody shares but locally it's a thing. It's 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 our thing, you can mm-hmm. in Scotland they would say, Oh, that's our band, you can they're yeah. local, we love them and Newcastle they love them, you can and I don't think there's enough big shows giving a guest spot for somebody new. And I think that's what needs to change. I think because there is there is guys out there can write and stuff can kind of, like the old school crew and that there can that are writing stuff and there's there's some genuinely great musicians that could really do a break and they're still writing stuff that would fit perfectly in the scene mm-hmm. they just, just don't get in the break and I'm, I've tried to champion a few of these in the past and we did try today like our own events the epidemic label and in, the, in the kind of 2000s on, we tried to do that and people just came to see QFX and they weren't really into what was mm-hmm. happening with bands and and it kind of disappointed me but at the same time i don't think it was a great time for music so the early 2000s there was a lot of stuff coming through that wasn't mm-hmm. the scene kinda, the scene kind of died a bit i think now it's on a complete revival i think i think it's just going to get bigger and, and better now that people have had a bit of space
1: it's well i think it, I definitely after the kind of two years of lockdown people have had, uh, had that time to think what's important again and and you know looking at all the amount of festivals and gigs that's springing up and people again going back to what we spoke about just why a party and be together with other people and have a great time with it, all the bullshit. yeah yeah just enjoy themselves
0: and i think it's important that like i think that the problem is you've got a couple of really big promoters that promote all the big gigs and and they tend to get a bit greedy mm-hmm And they they didn't tend to let other promoters have their their space. And and that, for me, is a a bit annoying because you do your nights, and I think your nights have been well established for a long time. And I think other promoters that are just coming along and just bumping your night because... Or can to do something on the same night in the same village. It can be... Or the same city, it can be a bit... A bit, a bit overkill. I, and I, I think, mean, I think you need to watch it. So it'll keep the scene healthy.
1: I know. I think. I think it's great that you know. I think that if everybody just you know, does things and like we spoke about earlier, competitions, kind of that competition feeling, being good for us back in the days, bands. But I think the I've never had so much grief and horribleness from from since I started promoting events, it's a whole mm. different level because it's more a, a business, horror, yeah. movie kind of yeah. thing. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's no very nice, even no. mentally, to deal with, you know, just horrible folk and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think I, it's I, great I, for the senior. of have so many things for people to choose there's room for everything to happen yeah yeah I
0: think, I think I think, there's room I mean for the dedicated punters that go to kind of lower gigs I think there's definitely a scene for uh, quite a few gigs there would be different promoters but sometimes I feel that some of the big 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 promoters just just like I'm gonna fucking do that gig there that night because of this person. You can and, and they can uh, kind of they didn't want anybody else to share in that pot. They yeah. want that pot to be theirs. They didn't want it to be anybody else's. And as you say, there's more than enough love in the scene to and, and people want to see music on a passionate level from all the, or from everybody that wants uh, to put something on within 100%, 100%. reason. hundred percent. Have you ever
1: got to a point in your career where Mentally or just business wise, it's got too much for you, and you felt like just fucking rapping it.
0: No, I mean, I, I was lucky. I kind of took a sabbatical from from kind of writing every day and being in the studio every day and being QFX every day, um, kind of late like 2010 to kind of 2015, 16 and I built up another business and um, you know, that became quite successful, completely different thing and the business was successful. And then, and then it lasted right up until COVID. And then, then at that point I realized that, you know, I wanted to be back in music. I'd, I'd kind of got the the hunger for it again. I'd lost the hunger of actually sitting in and enjoying writing music. mm mm-hmm. That, that kind of other business gave me this outlet to to keep making a, a living. i was still doing QFX, still gigging, but I wasn't really producing as much as I should have.
1: I had you done, find the creativity in the business that you were running. Was that maybe? A,
0: yeah, yeah, it was a very a challenge.
1: Creative.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was building motorhomes, custom built motorhomes, and that, and I, and it was a challenge. And you know, I really enjoyed that business, but I really wanted to go back into music. My my, my main goal had always been we will go back into doing what we love, which is music. And that's what I did. I just said to myself, you know, COVID happened. It's time to go back into music. Let's just get away from this country and concentrate on what we love, which is writing music, what I love. It's
1: it's mad because you refer to QFX as we. Are you very much thinking of that as you and QFX as almost two different people?
0: yeah yeah well kind of yeah i mean i I mean i still see us as a family you know i mean even though i'm the one that does all the writing and all the production and all that kind of stuff i always find it it's a family you can Mm -hmm. i mean i I really look at my dancers and i look at my my band members as part of my family and can brothers and sisters and and what we do and and i always can have love for them and want to want to spend that time that we do especially at the weekend on a stage or in a hotel room just having a laugh and mm-hmm. letting go Oh, that's and, great and then when i get in the studio can i just i just Right now, what I want to write, and I work on so many different things. Obviously, the QFX stuff, but I write kind of stuff with people in America and people in Germany, people in Australia, all over the world. I'm working with a new artist somewhere or an established artist, and it's it's eye opening because you're, you can be doing a soul track one week and you can be doing a rap track the next week. And
1: oh, but so right across the board, you're producing music with?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm working with people that are like. Mega in america i'm working with people that are the best session musicians in the world strings horns wow. you name it some of the records and i get the privilege of working with people can kind of that are mega like dale penner who produced nickelback and um and barry coffee that that he's a big tv guy and stuff like that so i get that's a great side of the music that i've always wanted to be in film music tv I've always wanted to be in that genre of music where I'm writing for film and TV and now I'm getting the chance to do it, which is awesome. That's brilliant. How did that come about? Was that through publishing or just making No, no. That was actually just pure luck. I just met this guy, um, Barry Coffey, through another friend and we were, on a, we were on a podcast together, funnily enough, and um, I said to Barry, I said, oh, we'll have to catch up and have a blather and stuff. He wrote the theme tune to Beverly Hills Nine O One O Two or or whatever it was. Right and he nearly got an emmy for that and um he was building this he's building this new music platform to take over from spotify called we get artists and it's basically for artists rather than getting crappy royalties off oh, Spotify. Shocking, man. Man,
1: isn't it? it's shocking you, with that spotify
0: and i mean i i do half a million plays a, a month on spotify right and it's still not enough to make a living and he's like well if he did that amount on my on my system he'd get 50 grand a month
1: fucking hell and he's like it's the artists actually making money for their music and their work hard work again yeah.
0: because he's an artist and where he's came from he's wanting the artist to actually earn money and it doesn't just mean the writer it means every artist that played on that record should be entitled to a royalty mm-hmm. for that record can rather than just a one-off session fee and that's a good but he says that's up to them if they want that. He says, but we want to try and pay everybody fairly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's it's a wee while away that. But I mean, he has another company that he does, and it's all music music supervisor stuff for films and TV. So I mean, I'll pitch. I mean, I've pitched something like hundred pitches this year um, to different shows, and I've I've got thirty seven pending at the moment, which means I could be placed. But it's everything. I mean, we did stuff for Young Sheldon, Stranger Things, um, did stuff for movies. Did you have Hollywood. stuff on Stranger Things? No, I didn't get it. Oh, but I got for it? Ah, bro. I it and um, I got through to the final, but didn't quite make it. But um, we're pitching for shows of that calibre literally every day of the week. And we're, we're trying to build up this... Mm system of music that we can you know I brought other people in Scotland on board to help them try and get their music into films and that because literally they haven't got that kind of music in that type of genre in Hollywood or mm-hmm. in, in other parts of the world and it, and it helps that they can go and go we need a track that sounds like this I mean one of the ones was they had one in the new, in the last Spider-Man movie and that was just like some guy singing Spanish, playing a guitar, but he was black, blah, blah, blah. So it's just trying to find that genre and get mm. that a piece of music for that thing. And the system works really well. So we're, we're hoping for big things with that in the future. Really?
1: That's great. I mean, it's still keeping you in about music and excited. And it's exciting, you know, especially if you get breaks in like a film or a TV show or something. It's such yeah. a great achievement, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a real... Di- I mean, I think that the TV industry is is like probably the worst industry to work in, in the world next to the music industry for, for people ripping you off. But it's great to actually be part of something that is looking after artists and looking right. after people. And that's what I'm interested in.
1: I mean, especially coming from from where we came from as well. Like, you know, I was wrapped up... I mean, in Club Scene Records and Bill Granger, which you know, in hindsight, or even at the time, I knew things were going south quickly. And and it's it's taken 20 years for me to kind of, I'm, I'm almost there of wrapping up the mess that was, mm-hmm. i seen records kind of thing, 20 yeah. years odd to do that. And I, I'm sure every other artist, I mean, I've spoke to loads of artists who have still not been paid. Mm. from records they put out. And, and there's a horrible side to the business. Yeah. All well, these yeah. sharks that just see young guys and girls and just really take advantage of them and melt them. Up. That's a golden goose, like you said. Aye, aye, Move aye. on to the next one. Because they know there's a long line of eager artists just want to get their music out and get gigging or whatever, and money's secondary. And these kind of people know that. Yeah. And that's what, what really upsets me. The people who know, right, if you don't want it, there's a hundred other guys or girls behind you that will say yes, mm-hmm. and anybody who's switched on to the business, they're not really interested in them because they know yeah. that's that's trouble. As if yeah, they're not yeah. going to make as much money, and that disgusts me. You know, like, and even in the days look what you're saying in like TV and film and everything, there's still people with that attitude that like, the artists they know the work, but they don't mm-hmm. want to give them the, the money for the work. Nah, nah, that's a,
0: that's the biggest
1: problem I think. Excel. 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 So 30 years in the game cook. Mm-hmm. you've got the, the film and stuff, uh, the pitches and that ahead, you've got a busy diary next year, I think you know things are, are, are just looking great, I was going to say where do you see yourself next year but things are looking good and is that not just an amazing place to be in after all this time?
0: It's absolutely amazing, honestly. And after all what we've been through in the past few years, I think people people need to be optimistic. I mean, the world's kind of crumbling around us at the minute, but we've all got to stay positive. And for me, next year's about making it the best year I possibly can and just you know at the end of the day music's great and I love music but I love being with my family I love being with my friends and you know going to the pub on a fr- on a Friday or a Saturday night and having a few beers with the, the mates and that is, is kind of in my, in my stage of life is like yeah this is enjoyable I like yep. this Whereas 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I'd be like, nah, nah, I don't want to go to the pub and have a drink with my mates. I play a game of pool or something like that. But now now I'm happy to just sit and chill and enjoy people's company. And I think the music scene's great, and, I, and I, I really hope that we can build this scene back to being in a place of love and unity again with everybody together and enjoying it mm-hmm. and and get rid of the politics try and get some new artists in and just try and enjoy it for what it is because we've been blessed you know
1: mm-hmm. I definitely I mean I couldn't agree more I think um, my attitude to gigs for, for the last while I got to a point where it was really getting me down when I was working with people or in a room I a promoter, you know, who's just, like, away with it, talking shite, or you're around people who you go, if if I was just with my mates, I wouldn't be choosing to hang about with these people. Yeah, that, yeah. That really rubbed and grated in me for a while, and now I think I've got to a place where, to, to a point, even the gigs that I accept, it's folk that I want to be around, and folk Aye. company I enjoy, you know, like, mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Gateshead, and that, and I came into the hotel. News we're sitting at the. You were actually having your 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 meal. It was just nice to sit down at the table, and we had a pizza and a, and a wee quick laugh. It was Aye. almost as if we'd seen each other, you know, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, and it has been yes. years since we've last seen each other in person. And and I think for me, that makes the gigs or my time out on the road even I was going to say dare I say even more enjoyable than the gigs the the gig is the icing in the cake but see that social side of things it just means so much more to me now maybe it is an age thing I don't know like you're saying you you enjoy going out for a pint and stuff now but that to me if I can get a bit of just a nice vibe like that at a gig it makes Mm -hmm. the experience of that weekend so much more better
0: yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think being I mean, like I was saying, the band being family, it's it's a real great time for us to get together and then actually to share that with people that who've known kind of off and on through the scene through the years is, is, is special and I think you know that's some of the great vibes that, that happen is that you get to meet people that you haven't seen for 10 years and catch up with them and find out how their life's been and stuff like that and you want everybody to do well and my, I mean for me I want everybody to do well it, it, it makes life much easier if people are doing well and are happy mm-hmm. and having some kind of negativity hanging on you because that guy is jealous because you've done this and you've done that. No, it's much better if we can just all enjoy it and if we can support each other and help each other, it makes life so much better. I mean, people, I've put people on to, you know, helping with their getting music and films and stuff like that. And people are like, Can what are you getting at? Well, I'm getting the satisfaction that can, and that if mine's didn't make it, maybe yours did. Mm. You can, maybe you're getting something that you've never done before or wanted to do. I want to try and help people, and, and I think when you're younger, you're just all about focused on me, me, me. And Aye, the, the button barriers button. are up when you're younger, is not they? And then when you get older and you, and you get a bit wiser, you think, "Can we went through a really lovely place? There were the, these people, these punters, and these people that come and see us and, and enjoy our music, and yet we, we stayed so closed off to each other as, as human beings, and and we're all just human beings, and and. I think the biggest thing in life is is, is sharing compassion mm-hmm. and love with other human beings rather than just negativity and stuff like that. For for me, it's really important.
1: There's so much negativity in the world. now it's. I think people are always are, are really in need of that a weekend escape. Still, you know, no matter how hard things get. I mean, we've seen it in the eighties and the nineties. where you know, what the government was doing back then. And obviously with the gas electricity hikes and stuff like that, money is yeah. gonna be tight, but I think people are still needing yeah. that escape and that entertainment yeah. from QFX or DJs or you know, promotes putting nights on because they need to just I escape for everyday of bullshit. Course,
0: of course the government I mean the government not just in the UK, but the government of the worlds are just pushing down on the on the ordinary people mm-hmm. to come mean? They're pushing so hard on these ordinary people. They're pushing them to breaking point, and and if people haven't got some kind of escape, some kind of um, way of releasing that stress, I mean, I, I I don't believe they should be pushed to this point. But mm-hmm. I mean, unless people stand up and say enough's enough, it's not going to change. But people need that escape. They need to be there, and they need to know that they can have a good time. They can be with their fellow fellow human beings, fellow travelers in this 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 whole thing and and actually enjoy themselves and enjoy that company and that's what i'm saying it's really important about us enjoying each other's company you know even if it is over a pizza and a pint or just having a laugh for half an hour that bonding just says look we've been through the same thing together and we've come out the other side and we feel blessed for what we've had and what we've got Let's let's just kind of go out there on stage and make make people happy mm-hmm. and share that love with them. A hundred
1: percent. Is there anything just to wind it up, is there anything that you, you probably even said that, is there anything that you wish you'd said to your younger self now looking back? Or yeah, anything you would have kind of changed or anything like
0: that? I I would have probably said to my younger self, chill the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all should have said that <laughs> because honestly honestly, I mean I mean, I, I've I spent a lot of my life I wouldn't say I was a bad human being but I was very very driven and I think it's great to be driven as long as you know it's not affecting other people in a negative way and I, there was a period in my life where I think I was affecting people in a negative way and I regret it deeply and now I just want to be that person I wish I could have been chilled and happy Mm -hmm. and you know enjoying things much more than like I am now back then it's mad isn't it because like
1: almost like you know being in a band you're almost like the 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 cheerleader or the the Piper of this love and happiness and good times Mm -hmm. behind that you're also this kid hodding on and run, trying to run some business, Aye. some tight ship, a band, managing, uh, things. you're running labels, so much pressure on you.
0: Yeah, and I think I think people people can have this illusion that people that are in bands or in the music industry or any industry are happy and they're not always happy behind the scenes, yeah. you know, I, mean, I, I think what people should remember is that whether whether you're the most famous person in the world or whether you're the a nobody that just goes to a concert, you are actually somebody, you're as equal as that person that's on that stage, It just mm-hmm. that person does a different job and brings enlightenment to you in a different way, but that person on stage could be suffering so much pain. Mm-hmm backstage. And I think musicians, we do tend to suffer a wee bit for our art, as in you can we pour everything into our music, we pour everything into what we're doing. And we do tend to lose focus on the, you know, the real important things like family and friends and stuff like that and being together. So that when we do go on stage, we're a much happier person. And for me, and in 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 my old age, I've discovered <laughs> <laughs> that being happy with friends and, and being happy with loved ones is is the most important thing yeah. in the future for them. And obviously, going out and doing their gigs that is that's just the icing on the cake for us. Brilliant. Well,
1: mate, I think uh, we can leave it there. It's been absolutely brilliant catching up, and thanks for agreeing to do the podcast.
0: Oh, It's my pleasure, mate. Honestly, it's just been great being able to get a proper chin wag <laughs> Aye, aye, definitely. I
1: mean, even like when we were sitting having the pizza and that, we're having a pint and that, it's almost like I kind of forgot that we were there to do a gig because everybody, it was just a nice wee feeling in the restaurant. Oh. A <laughs> pint something to eat.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a great thing about some of the gigs that we do. We get to meet people that were in the scene for a long time, and yep. we'll find out how they are doing, and if they're going to be, if they're cool, if their life's cool, we can. Or if, I mean, for me, if I can help anybody in the scene, I always try. And and it's like there's never if anybody asks me for help, if I can, I will. That's good to hear. Yeah, and, because and anybody, anybody that's that, that isn't an asshole, then I'll definitely help them 100. percent
1: and and I think it's 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 probably something that you've learned through your your life experiences over the last thirty odd years, isn't it? Because you've seen both sides of it kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and, and you've got to a point where uh, I'm okay. I'm the same, you know. Like you go, I, I need to be the guy that be like I needed back then sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, like back then, there wasn't really many people you could turn to and go, how can I, what do I need right. to, who do
0: I, who should I speak to? There was just more a take, take attitude for everybody yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, I think the, the internet's opened up the whole world for us. I mean, mm-hmm. in so many good ways and obviously so many bad ways, but majority is good that you can actually, you know, if you kind of think how to do something, you know, you used to phone a mate and say, "How, how do I do this?" You can. Yeah. How do I get my fucking computer to actually hear my voice? And <laughs> 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 you know, and and it's like it's, it's stupid things that just just kind of like that that are so easy now. If you want to learn a new tool, or you want to learn a new piece of software. There's a video somewhere, and it's an educational tool. And and like I say to my kids, I say to my kids, "Look, I didn't really care." if you're on your computer, as long as you're doing something that's making your brain educated. and mm. kind of, Even if it is something that is a game, but it's an educational, so that it yep. teaches you something. Or if you learn a new skill, go on the internet and learn a new skill. Instead of watching cats fucking getting run over. <laughs> <laughs> there's something stupid for 45 minutes, you know what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. 45 minutes of your precious life that you could have fucking done something really great or yeah. watch something really great or something inspiring yep. and not no get wrapped up in 45 minutes of YouTube videos that are just pure pish I mean you can watch them now and again but well, <laughs> <in the> <laughs> oh, come
1: on uh, 100% so for anybody listening what about um, just talking about that where, where can they go to find QFX music and what you're up to websites SoundClouds or
0: whatever yeah basically I mean to be honest we're on all social media although our presence is kind of I just haven't got the time but I've got somebody in Australia that's going to be working on that for us um, so you can get us on all kind of Instagram so Spotify or these places um, obviously music Spotify the usual places Apple Music um, but the QFX as well for just general where we're going to be and what gigs we're going to be doing Um, getting in touch with us just through social media really just I mean literally people reach out to me all the time on social media and I'm happy to answer as many questions or you know thoughts as as possible if people do get in touch it's no it's not like this massive list of thousands of people that are going no 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 and it just whatever comes in I mean I'm lucky I'm in that position where I'm not getting bombarded by thousand emails a day so Mm -hmm. it's cool good stuff
1: well listen mate you take care have a brilliant day and week and I look forward to bumping into you an R gig sometime soon
0: yeah well hopefully and, and as I say if you ever fancy a break you and the family you're welcome here come over for a bit of Czech beer and a weekend That's, away you're always I th- well
1: I, I think you might regret saying that I might just chop your door wand and you'll be like what the
0: fuck <laughs> you know what it would be absolutely great and you can come in you can do some shit in the studio and the, the wives can go do some wifey stuff for <laughs> sounds good,
1: mate take care mate you take care I'll I'll edit this up and I'll send you send you over as well the links mate magic good speaking to you mate
0: thanks buddy cheers
1: I've been up for four days I don't know what's right and wrong anymore
0: Wow That sounds incredible That was great mate I really enjoyed that Yeah me too It was great getting that chat where you can